So you're an attorney and you've decided to go out on your own. Now what? You need a plan and you're not alone. Join expert host Adriana Linares and her distinguished guests on New Solo. Tune into the lively conversation as they share insights and information about how to successfully run your law firm here on Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to New Solo on Legal Talk Network. I'm Adriana Linares. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant, normally based in Orlando, Florida. If you're a regular listener, you know that I travel a lot. Of course, my favorite city is New Orleans, which I'll get to be in in a couple of days. But today, I'm in the great city of Omaha, Nebraska. I came to Omaha a couple of days ago to speak at the uh, Solo Small Firm Conference that Nebraska and Iowa were having together. And I came to give a presentation and help Clio at their booth. So Clio is one of our sponsors. That gives me a great opportunity to thank them, not just for uh, sending me to Nebraska, but also for being a sponsor for New Solo, along with Solo Practice University. So make sure you check both of those out. I'd like to welcome Mary Vandenack to today's episode. Hey, Mary. Thanks, Adriana, for having me on the show. Mary, thanks for letting me into your home. You're so sweet and nice. Um, we're good friends. We've been friends for a long time. And when I told you I was coming to Omaha and that you were going to be a speaker at the conference, it was pretty coincidental. You said, oh, stay with me. We'll have some fun. And we've had a really good couple of days. <laughs> had a really good time. The conference location had a lot of great pokey stops. Was, so we were able to uh, add a little to the legal part of the conference and, and should we even have a little fun. Should we even confess that we may or may not have been out pokey hunting till 10, 30 and 11 o'clock at night for the past two nights across Omaha? <laughs> Unfortunately, I've posted on, on Facebook and social media. So I've got a few messages like, please tell us that you have not fallen susceptible to that particular game, but I we have. May or it's may a lot of fun. Have. It is fun. We've had a good time. But the reason you were at the conference, I mean, I was there because I was helping Cleo out and I gave a presentation on practice management, but you were there talking on two different topics, one of which I specifically came um, came up to you and said, hey, well, you know, we're, we've got nothing else to do between pokey hunts. Let's record a couple of podcasts. And I decided we're going to have to break this up into two because the topic is I wouldn't say it's complex, but there's a lot to talk about and it's alternative fees. It's one of your favorite things to talk about and teach other lawyers about. So that's what you were doing at the Solo Small Firm Conference, right? That's right. And exactly what is, you know, I feel like lawyers hear about it and read about it all the time, but can you just quickly describe in case someone's still trying to grasp it or maybe they're new or maybe they're a new lawyer, which they are. This is kind of geared toward new solos, new lawyers. But I know that we have a lot of other types of listeners. But what is an alternative fee when it comes to thinking about um, running a law practice? An alternative fee generally is any fee, any way of charging for a law firm's services that isn't actually the billable hour. So the traditional way of charging is, here's my rate and I'm going to charge you based on how many hours this takes me. An alternative fee, and there's several different types that we'll talk about, is just any way of doing it that is other than the hours times the rate. The billable hour is still how you figure out what your alternative fees are going to be, at least on, on some of the fee types. But it's not just an hour times rate, and here, whatever the bill you get at the end of the month is going to be the cost. Key component of it is that we're going to be able to tell the client up front, this is what I'm going to charge you for the particular service that you're looking for. And in your law, law practice, which tell us real quick a little bit about, you know, what you do here in Omaha and the type of practice that you have, you regularly include an alternative fee structure when you're working with your clients, right? So tell us what you do. So my partner and I 
founded our firm several years ago, and we broke off a big firm. And so we did a lot of thought on who and what we could serve when we came out of a bigger firm into a small firm environment. And originally, it was just the two of us starting this particular firm. And what we wanted to be able to do was to be really clear about we're pretty efficient, we're pretty technologically oriented. You are. And we wanted to benefit from that also, as well as serve our clients a little bit differently. And one of the things that one of my business clients had told me early on is, I just want to know how much stuff is going to cost me when I call you. And so that's what we decided wait, to... Wait, were you shocked when a, when a client said that to you? Or did you think, well, that makes perfect sense? Because as a consumer, I always want to know whatever I'm going to be paying for. I want to know the cost up front. I mean, whether it's my lawn guy or the dentist or you know another consultant, were you shocked? <laughs> I mean, because I feel like clients are often... I mean, my clients, I should say, which are the lawyers are often surprised to hear that maybe a client wants to know upfront what it's going to cost them for their services. I think it is. I don't know that I was shocked so much as I made a decision at that moment that that was, it was more like, wow, that is really right. (laughs) Yeah. Because she gave me the same type of example that you just did. She said, if I go to the grocery store and I decide I want to buy Kraft macaroni and cheese or the store brand, it tells me how much each option is going to cost and I can make a decision. And it breaks it down by the ounce, FYI, right? Right. I mean, like there's a micro cost there that I'm aware of. And her point was, look, a well-run business looks at opportunities, looks at costs. And so in going into, and it was actually a fairly big project that she was giving me. And I remember at the time going, oh, I have no idea how to figure out what I'm going to charge for this project. But I was talking to her about it saying, well, well, look, I've got to look at this. I've got to look at this. And she said to me, break that down into those pieces and And, at least, but I need to know how much it's going to cost so I can make a good decision. And as part of the fear, which I'm going to guess that your answer is going to be yes, because I have this fear as a consultant when I do project-based billing, that you're either overpricing or underpricing it. Like there's, it's just hard to figure out the exact right cost, right? It is hard. But I think the biggest fear is that you're going to underprice. Yeah, of course. And if you underprice and you're still looking at, because the hourly, it's a service business, right? So the fact of your hour is still going into figuring out how much you're going to charge. And at the end of the day, if you can get billable hour work and you get 10 hours of work at your rate versus you've worked more hours than you quoted on this particular project, then at some point you're essentially working for free. Nobody wants to work for free, but there's no. some ways to resolve that in pricing as well. It's why we have to, with some of it, some people will think that an alternative fee is just, hey, it's a flat fee. That's not- And you're locked in. Right. But that's not right. That's not what an alternative fee is. You might use a flat fee for some really what I call the commodity type mm-hmm. of services. Somebody's forming a new business entity. Most of that, what you know, the parameters of the formation, you can come up with the rate and stick by it any additional services. And that's one of the keys in developing flat fee models is that, okay, if I'm going to do an entity formation, it's going to be, you know, we charge 650 plus costs for basically a fairly simple formation. And that's actually, you know, price competitive with LegalZoom for its full service entity formation. But we're really clear about what we provide for that particular cost. And we're really clear that if there's additional or different services that the client needs, we're going to quote those differently. And you would communicate with them, obviously. It's not like a, sh- a bill is going to show up with these additional costs. You would call them up and communicate and say, you know, based on what we talked about when, when we took on this relationship, there's these extra charges that or these changes in the charges. I think that communication piece is the most important part of the process. And for whatever the reason, 
the most challenging part for yeah. lawyers to take on. <laughs> I, I think for and, all of us, but yeah, definitely for lawyers. But I've gotten where I'm just realize how important that conversation is. So I, at the very first meeting with a client, I never let a client walk out of my office where we haven't talked about what it's going to cost. And if I can't give them the cost at that moment in time, which is sometimes the case, I at least tell them how we're going to figure that out and when they're going to hear from me. And I am going to give them a cost before I have them sign an engagement letter, or I'm at least going to give them a range. I'm going to give them something that knows. And I also, in that, what I'm really proactive about is watching what is actually being consumed in terms of time and what's going on with the project so that if there is a change, and there is sometimes, you have in the estate planning world, which I do a fair amount of work in, there's a lot of times, it's a huge process for people in terms of they might be estranged from a child or they might you know, might not have kids and it's what do you want to do with your wealth if you don't have kids. Those are all big decisions and people have changed their mind in the process. So we usually say on that process with a trust document, this is the trust that we're going to draft for you. And we include in that cost, it's going to be, we're going to send you a draft and one set of revisions. And as long as that's the process, this is the cost. If there's a second set of revisions that was our fault, then that's going to be included in the cost. But if it's because the client changed their mind, Mm -hmm. at that point, it's going to be their cost. But what we do as soon as that begins to happen is we communicate with them about, you know, this is sure. the cost is going to be different. And we make that clear up front exactly what we're going to cover so that it shouldn't be a big surprise. And your firm, before we go any further, I don't want to forget to ask you, is how big and how many lawyers do you have? Tell us a little bit about your practice. Because you mentioned um, business formation. You m- mentioned um, wealth planning. But I know that you also do very cool work with gun trust and, and gun law. So I want to make sure that we say that about you because that's so cool. The gun trust is kind of a fun area. And and being in Nebraska, it's really a pretty easy area to practice in because just about everybody seems to own guns in Nebraska. But as a generality, Mark and I, my partner, and unfortunately my partner is taking an in-house position with one of our clients, so he won't be here anymore. And I'm really sad about that. But we founded the firm with just the two of us. And at the time it was going to be the two of us and we were going to live happily ever after. How long ago? our laptops 12 years ago. Okay. And we started our firm in the farm field in the basement of a building out in the farm field. <laughs> That's awesome. And we were going to be there. And, and then one of our former partners decided to join us. So we ended up running a real office. And then we promptly grew to 15 lawyers at that point in time. And we started looking at each other going, okay, I thought we left a bigger firm <laughs> to be a little light and lean. Uh-huh. That's when the economy went south. And by attrition and whatever, we were back down to four or five We've stayed, right now we're nine with Mark's departure. We'll be back to eight, which is more than plenty for me. But what we did, it was created a tax and business boutique. So we said, well, who and what can we serve if we want to stay small? We don't really want to become a big firm again. So we decided we could serve the people who are forming businesses. And the second piece of it was I'd been at a law firm where they focused on invading relationships I didn't want to invade relationships. Yeah. I wanted to build relationships. That doesn't sound that great. It was, I used Anytime to- Anytime the word invasion is used, it can't be good. I used to turn onto the street going to my really fancy office yeah. and get a stomachache when I was heading there. Oh. And they're a great law firm, actually. It just wasn't my style. And that's sure. what I was telling you. It's got to be your style. But so what we decided is that a great opportunity would be to help people start businesses. You're helping them right. hopefully- fulfill their dreams. It doesn't always work out that way, but we've had a lot of really amazing success stories. But I'm a tax attorney by day and Mark was business and transactional. So we brought together those skills and 
that's who we decided to serve. And it's been a really fun run. But I personally either do or oversee at this point the gun trust type of thing. I do pet trusts is another little area yeah, that I have. Yeah, that's fun. I do a lot of work in the artificial reproductive technologies. So one of my clients' daughter got a brain tumor. And what they did is they harvest and froze her eggs wow. because she hadn't had any children yet. So things like that. Very interesting. Are, yeah, I kind of consider those within the estate planning area. I do a lot of business succession planning. But I also do a lot of work for real estate developers. So I get to a lot of times have clients setting up you know, real estate type investments and projects. I represent some guys that I've helped them create holding companies to organize their investment structure or business structure. And that's fun as well. So you have a really broad range of of services. It is. And is there any one of those practice areas that you can't have an alternative fee option within? I have the alternative fees with everything I do. So it might be in some cases, especially like say when I took a client and they had 30 baby project entities with various businesses in them and we organized them into a couple holding companies. That's a really hard one to say it's going to cost you Mm -hmm. X dollars. But what I can always do is break that project down into parts and price the project by parts, which the client's usually happier with instead of seeing... Hey, the One fee for this is going to be this huge, right. ginormous amount. By the way, I'm going to create this holding company for you and move all the projects into, and here it's going to cost you this giant amount of money. It's a little more palatable if I break it down and say, well, look, we're going to need to form the following new entities, and the cost for each of these entities is going to be a certain dollar amount. And the research we're going to have to do in a few states, because you're in some different states, or mm-hmm. we might have to contact an attorney there, it's going to cost this amount. So you break it down into the parts. They can see the parts. They can see the process. And they're a little happier to get that. But at the end of the day, there is a bottom line. It might be a range rather than, but we're going to commit to a maximum amount. And in our second episode, part two of this, because we had to break it into two because there's so much good information, you actually have a six, I'm going to call it your simple six-step process. (laughs) And we'll go through figuring out sort of how to break that down and what those ranges are. So you and I had a funny exchange at the Solo Small Firm Conference. Actually, I was like the fly on the wall with another attorney. We were sitting at a reception and the two of you happened to do the same type of work. But I don't even know if when you started the discussion about alternative fees, if he knew that you guys did the same type of work. So I think the discussion started and he said, well, I can't do flat fee or alternative fees because my work is very customized. And I watched you almost stroke out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because I knew that you were going to say, hardly, dude. You know, so what? Tell us a little bit about that typical exchange you have with lawyers with them saying, well, my work is very customized. There's no way I could ever do this. You know, what do you say to them? What did you say to him? <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I said to him. I think I was busy stroking, trying to recover from stroking out. But that's one of the most common things because that I do hear from clients yeah. in any practice area. For me, in my practice area, it was particularly compelling. I'd admit that the first time I had a litigator say that to me, well, I don't litigate. But what I did with that litigator was challenge him, well, let's sit down and talk about that because I don't do what you do. But this particular case is, and I use that in my presentation the next day as an example. Is I said, okay, so the really common thing, and I think that attorneys keep themselves from benefiting from the advantages of alternative fees, which there's huge advantages. And in I that. think that's one of the misconceptions that that you talked about is that, and that was one of the questions I had for you too, is what are the misconceptions and or the perceptions that either clients or attorneys have? And I think that's, that's probably the biggest one, right? 
That is the biggest misconception. Right. I can't quote this because it's too complicated. And so my challenge to anybody who makes that statement is, you know what, let's talk about that. Let's really look at what you do. So I do a lot of complex estate planning. And at the end of the day, there's certain pieces of that process that are the same. And we're going to talk about that more detail in the next podcast. But to me, as a generality, even within the complex areas that I do, there might still be 10 different paths that I'm going to take people down. And I can look at each of those and say, okay, but it's a matter of breaking that complex project down. And my challenge to any attorney who says to me, well, look, I can't possibly quote that is, well, have you ever done it before? Right. Have because you ever sat there? if you've done there? it before, then you should be clear that there's a process and you should break that process into pieces and then price the pieces of the process. And the same gentleman, because I did address that specifically mm-hmm. in the presentation, <laughs> came up to me and talked to me afterwards and asked me to come over and help him out a little yeah. bit with that. And I will follow up with him because I think, one, that clients are happier if they know what they're going to pay. And secondly, I think that, you know, personally, a lot of people will ask me, well, what were the market forces driving the use of alternative fees, Mary? Like, well, you know what? Right now, if you're in high-end work, you can probably get your rate times your hour. My response to that is, who cares? I want my rate plus times my hour if I can earn that. And if I can be really, why should I not get the benefit of being super efficient and Mm -hmm. super organized and using technology? So if attorney A is charging hour times rate and he blunders through using cut and paste strategies to create documents, and I, instead of automated my entire library of forms... At the end of the day, I'm going to have a lot less hours than attorney A. I should be able to make more than attorney A. I should be able to charge and at you, least. And I'm sure you do. And I do. And what we do is we get more and more automated is we usually give the client a break, but we keep some of that. That's why we don't use the hours. We're like, if we know what others are charging and we keep close tabs on that and pay attention to what people are being charged for similar types of services, then we try and make sure we're competitive with those or giving clients a little bit better deal. And if we're making good money or you know we're making a little bit, essentially a premium rate with the alternative fees, we're good with that. Well, that all sounds good. Listen, before we move on to our next segment, we're gonna take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsors. Clio is an invaluable software solution for law firms of all sizes, handling all the demands of your growing practice from a single cloud-based platform. Clio enhances your firm with features such as matter and document management, time tracking, and even billing. Clio is an effortless tool that helps lawyers focus on what they do best, practice law. Learn more at Clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Ready to create and build your own solo or small firm practice? Need a nuts and bolts education on the 360 degree experience of starting a business? There is only one online destination dedicated to helping you achieve your goals. Solo Practice University, the only online educational and professional networking community dedicated to lawyers and law students who want to go into practice for themselves. More than 1,000 classes, 58 faculty and mentors. What are you waiting for? Check out solopracticeuniversity.com today.
Okay, welcome back to New Solo. I'm Adrienne Linares, and I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, with a dear friend and a very smart lawyer and businesswoman, Mary Vandenack. Before our break, we were just sort of talking about what is an alternative fee, you know, the misperceptions and uh, perceptions for clients as far as figuring out how that works. And Mary, what I wanted to talk about now in the second half are, is there only one type of alternative fee? Are there different types? When somebody says, I don't even know where to start, do you have to start with figuring out which type of alternative fee there is? Or what are a couple of your favorites? That's a really useful process because I think that there's a misperception there in that the flat fee, again, means I can assign exact dollar amount to every project. And we've already talked about the fact that that doesn't always work. One of the simple, easy ones that we do use for what I call our commodity service is a flat fee. And we've designed that in a variety of ways. So you know, if it's your- Oh, so wait, so I keep using flat fee and alternative interchangeably. They're not. But they're not. Okay, why yeah. didn't you correct me? So- Correct al- me now. Yeah. So an alternative <laughs> fee generally refers to any Anything. way okay. that we're compensating okay. other than the hourly rate. A flat fee is, hey, I'm going to do a simple will and I'm going to charge you $350 for that simple will. I'm going to do a healthcare power of attorney and I'm going to charge $100 for that. One of the other ways that we use flat fees that I think is pretty creative and it works extremely well. So people, we get regular calls for somebody to review a contract and what we'll do is, that's one of the ones that actually is somewhat hard. So we've come up with a set rate for types of contracts. I, for example, review a lot of physician employment contracts. And what we do is say, this is what we'll do. We will review the contract and we will provide you comments. And those comments are going to include, here are key things just to know about signing a contract like this, but you're not going to be able to negotiate them. Here are your deal breaker items, and here's what we suggest you have them done. And here's some other stuff to just be aware of, like make sure you request if you have to be on staff at a hospital, make sure you get whatever the rules of those are. And what we do is we say, we're going to do that for a certain dollar amount. And we do that, we provide them the comments and we let them know. And then if you want us to be involved in the negotiation process, we're going to quote that additionally. And what happens with that? is it's a great service. So we do that for almost any type of contract is that we have, the fee might be slightly different based on the type of contract, but that works really well. And from that, a lot of times they'll come back and not a lot of times, actually a lot of times that is all they need. But sometimes somebody comes back and they need some additional service. We also use that as an opportunity to create a relationship with the client. So say that new physician market, I get a lot of those type of referrals. We do those contracts all the time. But we also send them a whole bunch of information about starting your career as a physician. Here's things you should know. This is what you're likely to run into. By the way, you know, here's things to think about as far as how you're getting compensated. Did you just get married, have some young kids? Here's some things to think about in estate planning. Asset protection is really big for physicians. Actually, that's really big for a lot of people. So we also use that as an opportunity. Excellent. And we know that that's part of our cost. So that's your flat fee. There's the percentage fee which is based on the, the an amount. So common percentage type fees in Iowa, we were talking to the Iowa lawyers, they charge 2% for probate. So it's like no matter what the size mm-hmm. of the probate. And it was an interesting conversation because 2% of a really large estate right. versus a really small estate, the same steps are involved in some cases. You can have a really simple large estate and a really complex small estate, but that's still the tradition a lot of times. The other places we see a percentage fee is in real estate and M&A transactions. Sometimes it's a percentage of the transaction cost. You run into the same types of issues. 
a small transaction can take just as much work, which is sometimes why you do combination fees. The other thing I call that's an alternative fee is still a fee range. It is based on the hourly rate, or it can be based on some other ways, but you're coming up with a minimum and maximum. So that goes back to our conversation early on where the client wants to know what is it going to cost? Where is it going to be? So in the range might be, you might have to give a range for pieces of the projects. The other one you see is fee caps. It's like the maximum amount I'm going to charge you for it. This is not one of my favorites because that's where if you do the underquoting, then you end up, all of a sudden, you know when you've hit the number of hours you quoted, and you'd much prefer to go golfing or to go Pokemon (laughs) hunting or something other than continuing to work on a project for free. We should golf and pokey hunt at the same time. We could golf and pokey hunt at the same time. Let's do that. I'm all, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, that would be so fun. There's the blended hourly rate, and that is where it's mostly you see that in large firms. And so they'll charge the same rate, doesn't matter who the provider is. And I'll acknowledge there was a gentleman in my presentation who said to me, well, I still think you're doing something wrong with your fees. And what he said to me was, I should be using the same rate to calculate my overall charges for my paralegal as I use for myself. And I looked at him, I'm like, what? On what planet? Well, he had a good point. He mm-hmm. goes, didn't you automate your trust document? So does it really take any difference in terms of the time consumption for her to run that automated? Oh, okay, wait, wait. Right, what that guy said to you the other night. Right. Right, and I have to tell you, I'm going to rethink. And that's one of the great things about talking at the seminars because you do. Right. So I'll rethink um, if he's got a point particularly when I'm looking at the reasonableness of my fees from an ethical perspective. Yeah, that was funny with you. Sorry, I didn't process it because you said that happened during the seminar, but it was when we were out to dinner. And it was funny because you and I were driving home afterwards and it was such a simple question that he asked you and you were almost like astounded that you hadn't thought of it, right? And it right, was- <laughs> right. <laughs> but I just, I think that goes to show you that even with someone who spends as much time as they do figuring out how to run an efficient business, talking to other people and just having an open mind about other ideas can sometimes really, you know, something will snap and you go, yeah, all right. So I like that. Go on. Right. And that's what I find extremely beneficial. I'm there presenting yeah. And every time I've done it, that's been what's happened is somebody there. And this, you know, as somebody who's been around for a long time, right? Yeah. So kind of knows our business. It's huge. Well, that's, I'm a, I grew up in playing team sports and whether it's a teammate who works with me or it's somebody who's just in my profession, I think the more we can exchange yeah. information with each other, the better we do as an industry overall. So then there's the task-based fee, which is a variation of what we talked about as the flat fee. And this is one of the ones that I use a lot and it's the complex planning question. So that's when we had that conversation about, oh, it's too hard. I do these really complex things. I can't possibly do it. Well, you just break it down. So if I'm doing a really complicated transaction, I break it down into its components and I price each piece. It's like, I'm going to charge this many dollars for forming that entity. I'm going to form charge this many dollars for the registration in another state. I'm going to charge this many dollars for registering the 10 trademarks sure. that you're going to need. So those are the task-based fees that might be a part of the bigger project. And maybe a lot of times attorneys haven't thought about really dissecting and deconstructing what a process 
on a matter takes. And that's where that's helpful, right? To actually sit there and go, okay, well, here's, I have to do A before I do B. I mean, I think a lot of times we just go into almost any project that we can do with our eyes closed and we just start doing it without really realizing that there's a series of tasks or projects or or functions that are involved. So doing that probably not only helps the client see the different rates, but it also helps you figure out what those different activities are that help you complete that matter or close that matter, right? Right. I think what happens is if you're blessed to be really busy, it's really easy just, you have a phone call, you've mm-hmm. got to get this out the door. Sometimes it's been sitting on your credenza. You have, so you just jump in and do it's it. It's the forest for the trees problem. I mean, it's hard to realize that there's a bunch of individual trees that make up that whole forest till somebody says, well, break it down. <laughs> so Walk some, in there. And that's right. It's, you really have to kind of decide to do that because that's one way to function. Yeah. And I just made a decision early on that was really my goal to to do better than what, you know, I went through three large firms early in my career. And what I watched is, okay, there's a cap in rates, at least in this market. So at some point, you're going to only be able to charge, no matter how much experience, no matter how much knowledge you have, there is a rate cap for certain types of work. And as you get older in your career, you might want to work a little less. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, you're stuck, you can't raise your rate. You want to work less hours. You'd really like not to have your income go down at that point when you have all this experience. So what happens? And that was what I saw in some of the large firms. If you're totally stuck in hours, terms, rate, and then you're possibly paying associates more than they're worth to hire the top associates, well, then where does it come? It comes out of the people in the middle. And then you have in some of the larger law firms all this constant transition in the middle, which makes it kind of hard in terms of firm relationships and things like that. So I wanted to try and beat that, quite honestly. Plus, I think it's hard to get metrics and true statistics when there's that much sort of flux and fluctuation in a law firm. But if you can figure out a system that allows you to consistently get back financial feedback, you're going to end up being better off in the end and figuring out how to use some of these alternative fee structures a little bit easier. Do you have any more you want to rattle off? I do have another one I'd like to talk about. It's what we call the availability retainer. And a lot of firms use different variations of it. But the one, so we're always thinking when we're charging fees, fees and what you charge are also marketing. And I know people really struggle with that because they, but the presentation of the bill and how we charge is a big indicator of whether you're going to keep the client, whether they're going to call you back. So my goal has always been that my clients are annuities rather Mm. than how much can I recover on this project. And part of that was one firm that I worked at. It was always about how much can we make on this project? And if the client never called them back again because they'd been charged so much, they didn't care. So in my world, it's like, well, how can we make both of those things work? Because, gee, we all know that our best return business is a yes. client that's already found us, as opposed to throwing all kinds of time and energy that we don't have into going and chasing new clients. So I've always thought in some law firms, they focus on paying more to people who bring in new clients. I'm like, why don't you pay more to those who really figure out how to keep and evolve the relationships and the work for the clients you already have. Such a basic business principle that so many law firms cannot grasp. It's just astonishing to me. And hugely important. (laughs) So one of the ways we do that is with this availability retainer. So we do is, again, we targeted helping clients start new businesses. And what happens with those clients is a lot of times they're new business owners. Sometimes they're repeat business owners, but they haven't dealt with all the issues. So what we know is that when they first start that business, they're going to run into a whole bunch of stuff, but they also are on a budget. Sure. And so if they start to call us and they start to get these huge bills, 
then they're going to freak out. And then they don't call us on the stuff that really matters. So what we tell clients, and that's one of the areas, there's several, and we do this in, is a new business client. Here's the deal. We're going to build into your entity formation or something else that we do for them. A certain amount of, you can call us for six months with anything that comes up, and there's going to be no additional charges. And then six months from now, we're going to sit down and we're going to figure out what kind of stuff you're running into, what your ongoing needs are, and then we'll build you a monthly cost so that you have a budget. And then you can call us as many times as you need to for that flat monthly amount. Mm -hmm. And we'll readjust that once a year and we'll sit down and talk about it. We do that also in the human resource area. So we have clients that have one employee and we have clients that have thousands of employees. So the pricing is not the same across the board, but we have what happens in the bigger entity with the thousand employees is they have, it's very rarely the owner of the business that's dealing with the employment issues. And if you have somebody who's not paying the bill, who's making the phone call to our law firm, the bill's going to get really big. Owners then sees the bill like, what the heck? So what we do is say, look, we kind of get how that's going on and we want you to be able to have your HR needs met. So here's a flat monthly amount and you can call all you want and same thing, we'll reevaluate that cost. That's been a really effective Hmm. strategy. It gives the law firm a regular recurring income stream. It's like a membership fee to a massage envy. And, um, you know, if I don't use it one month, I'm able to double up the next month. Exactly right. right? <laughs> exactly right. I hate to dumb it down to something so simple, but, but that's I mean, a great that's analogy. That's what you're describing to me. That's interesting. And so, well, and not that it's new or novel, or but I mean, it's just so refreshing to hear a law firm actually thinking about these alternative ways of billing. But that recurring income must be very welcome when things slow down. Like, you know, I know your football season's about to start here. People probably aren't thinking about their legal needs. You know, you're ready for those Huskers to finally do something this year. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's They're still be... hoping. <laughs> it's a great way to hope. <laughs> what else you got? So the other one that's worth mentioning is just the use of success fees. And those vary a lot by practice area. So some criminal law cases, they'll use a success fee. Hey, if we manage to do this for you, there will be a success fee. We use them. We do a lot with the Internal Revenue Service. So somebody comes in with a you know, huge tax bill, and we'll quote them a flat fee for the process and a success fee if we actually manage to settle your 100000 liability for 1000 bucks, We're going to also you know, going to pay us a success fee. So the success fees, using those successfully, is designing them in a way that the client is going to be find them like, yeah, they're happy to write you a check. If you just save them $100,000, this is no problem. And you make your flat fee or your base fee is a little bit less to start so that if you lose, so it's not a pure contingency type fee. It's Mm -hmm. almost like a sort of contingency fee, but not entirely because you're still getting Creatively contingent. And so, yeah, so the true (laughs) contingency fee is if you don't get anything done, you don't get paid. Well, we're not going to put somebody through an offer and compromise process without having, it's not the nature of our structure. So we might have a fee for that process that's lower than our hourly rates would come out to be But most of the time, we've actually been very successful in that area. So most of the time, we do really well. And you have a lot of happy clients who don't mind because they just got a notice from the IRS that, yep, sorry, your hundred grand bill has been forgiven for a thousand or something like that. Yeah, if they get the oops, and if we had that happen very often, (laughs) we'd have to reevaluate whether we wanted to use that kind of fee. So that's, you have to look at the practice and say, does this make sense for what I do? So the one other type of fee, and this one's actually newer to me, so I don't know the details of it, but it's worthy of mention. And so it's the structured fee. It only works for those who do 
truly contingent fees, which I don't do a lot of, but why the reason that the strategy appealed to me is because it's a tax deferral. So if you're a personal injury lawyer doing work comp or employment discrimination, things where you're getting paid contingency, you can, as part of the settlement agreement, negotiate that your fees are going to get paid essentially to a life insurance company who will provide you an annuity. What the aspect of that that I find really interesting is that if you get a million dollar fee one year, typically you're paying income tax on that entire fee. Hmm. And you might then go two or three years without having great income. This levels that into annuity payments. So it levels out your income for income tax purposes and for budgeting purposes if that helps as well. That's very, again, creative and interesting. Your CPA brain must really like that one. I do like, <laughs> I do like, I always like any tax deferral strategy. So even though I, I don't do I heard, that I work, saw your eyes light up when you said tax deferral. <laughs> right? Yeah, pathetic, I know, but it's my deal. Okay, well, we're going to just end here because it seems like a good stopping point. You've given everyone a wealth of information to listen to and consider. So we're going to stop here, but we're going to bring you right back for another episode. And we're going to talk in the next episode about the exact steps and some ideas that you have for helping people figure out what type of alternative fee they might like of all those ones that we just mentioned. And also what I like to call your your Mary's simple six-step process to moving to an alternative fee structure. And um, before I do that, though, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you, maybe get a copy of your PowerPoint that we've been sort of flipping through to guide us through this conversation. I think you have a wealth of information just in that PowerPoint alone. And I'd be happy to provide the PowerPoint or just have a discussion with anybody who has an interest in the topic. My email is the easiest way to get a hold of me, which is mvandenack at vanwill.com. And so that's M as in Mary, V-A-N as in new, D-E-N as in new, A-C-K at vanwil.com. And if you lose track of that, but remember my name, you can Google me. I think I'm the only Mary Vandenack that's in the country. Actually, I think (laughs) I have a cousin in Green Bay, but I pop up on the internet when you put my name in. So you can connect to me through LinkedIn or any other form that works for you. Well, that's great. So we're going to end the show. I'm Adriana Linares. Thank you for listening. Hope you pop back in for uh, episode number two of this great conversation with Mary Vandenack of Omaha, Nebraska about alternative fees. Make sure you visit our sponsors, Clio and Solo Practice University. Join us next time for another great episode of New Solo. Thanks for listening to New Solo with host Adriana Linares. Tune in again to learn more about how to successfully run your new practice solo here on Legal Talk Network. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. 
The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.